During the course of her career, she has been a successful model, wholesale rep, model scout, model agent, and one of the industry's most in-demand photographers. With a fashion industry career that expands over 16 years, she has developed quite a reputation as a plus industry expert and recently began consulting both agencies and models. She is also certified as a first and second degree angelic Reiki practitioner and currently offers intuitive counseling for those seeking a deeper understanding of their current soul journey. Firecrackers, please welcome Nikki. Welcome to The Honest Uproar, a podcast where modern, child-free women share their life stories and where we discuss important topics for the kid-free community. I'm Isabel, your host and founder and firebrand of The Uprising Spark, a digital platform that offers life coaching products and services for modern, independent, child-free women. Our aim is to build a strong female community and to connect empowered women around the globe. There's a lot of us out there and, you know, the idea is just to bring in these different perspectives on women who have made the choice, but also show that you can live a very happy and fulfilled and amazing life without children, basically. Exactly. For those of them who are only starting to think about the thing, just kind of like, "Mm, should I, shouldn't I? There's no reason for you not to. I mean, the general message is you're not going to live a really sad and like depressing life because you have no children. (laughs) Right, that whole old maid uh, thing that people yeah, say. Yeah, yeah. I don't know. What is it? I don't know if that comes from like, you know, I was just thinking the other day about those, well, I'm going to say Disney stories, but not really Disney because Disney takes all those stories from like old folklore and yeah. Grimm Brothers and, you know, yeah. all this literature that was published centuries ago. Yeah. And that image of like the old hag and like the witch who doesn't have kids and like, Oh my God, why is it that we're picture that? I mean, I understand back then there was this need to like populate the world, but nowadays, like, there's still some people that have that image on their heads. Yeah, it's societal programming. So it's like what suits society. And back then that was necessary. So they they made sure that that was ingrained in your mentality and then passed down from generation to generation. Up until today. 2020. That's right. We're changing everything. (laughs) Awesome. Well, I hope that it keeps on changing. Before we get into that subject of child freedom, um, my favorite subject, I want want to hear more about, so you're a photographer. Yes. You're New Yorkian. Yes. But you live in Minnesota. There's so much there. (laughs) I know you're you're making your way towards the uh, West Coast. Yes. Um, I just want to hear about your story. I want to hear, you know, what it was for you to grow up in New York uh, with that heritage. And yeah, and, and then, you know, photography, I want to hear all about it. Sure. Um, so I was born in the Bronx during the whole Bronx's burning phase of New York's history. So I was born in the Bronx in 1977. Um, and yeah, and that was um, a crazy time. My grandparents, my mother lived with my grandparents. She was only 17 when she was pregnant with me. Wow. Yeah. And my father was significantly older. Um, I believe he was in his mid to late 20s at that point, maybe 30. Um, and my grandparents did not approve of my father because of colorism. So my father was actually half black 
and half Puerto Rican. Mm-hmm. But he presented, he looked like just African-American. Mm-hmm. And so, and he was also, you know, what they call a titare. So <laughs> he oh, was what? like titare, which is like um, a person that's like hanging out in the streets and like hustling and doing all the street stuff to survive, whatever, like that type uh, of person. Yeah. So my grandparents were like, what? Our only daughter who's 17 just got pregnant from this dark skinned <laughs> guy who's like in the streets? No. <laughs> Wait, and your mom, is she also from Latin American heritage or African American heritage? My mother is, uh, well, she was, she passed in 2004, but she was um, Puerto Rican mostly. Mm-hmm. And so if you were to look at her, she looked like she was Caucasian or Italian. People thought she was Italian oftentimes. Yeah. Um, so it looked like a biracial couple when my parents would walk down the street together. Mm-hmm. Um, and so my grandparents, you know, God bless their, their hearts. They're good people, but, you know, they came from a system in which dark was considered other and they were light skinned and their kids were light skinned. And here was this black man getting their only daughter pregnant. And so it was a very crazy time for them and they were in the projects. Um, so there was a whole bunch of issues and actually, um, the request was for, for me not to be born. That was best. Yeah. Because, you know, they wanted her to have a chance at a better life and so on and so forth. She was born in New York. So they were like, okay, well, our daughter's going to have a better life than we had. And, um, she refused. And so here I am. (laughs) I am my family as they call me the, they used to call me the Morenita. So I am my family's Mm -hmm. (laughs) little black uh, Puerto Rican girl. (laughs) So yeah, she was very young, your mom, but, um, I'm, I'm not sure at the time, uh, was there access to abortion, easy access to abortion in New York? Do you know? I'm not sure what the laws were at the time, but I know that they took her to a clinic and um, she refused. Yeah. Okay. Wow. Yeah. Yeah. So here I am. I get to be here. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah. So then um, shortly after I was born, they actually moved north to Yonkers, um, which is in Westchester County. And for people who don't know, that's where Mary J. Blige and DMX are from. <laughs> and uh, Lady Gaga also lived in Yonkers, although she does not talk about it. Um, so yeah, and so mm-hmm. I got to grow up in Yonkers in uh, Westchester County in like the city version of Yonkers. And and so for you, how was it as a child? You know, because you're, I see you and I see that Latin American heritage, but they're because Latin American were so mixed. Yes. Like I'm Colombian, we come in like different varieties of colors, and yes. there's Latin American people who are very, very white, pasty white, blue eyed, blonde, mm-hmm. and there are Latin American people who are fully, you know, the sentence of Africans, and you can you can tell by the the, the, the tone of their skin, of course. Yes. How was that experience for you growing up Latina and having that heritage as well? You know, it's funny because I. I was raised by my um, Puerto Rican side. So I didn't actually meet my father or, or my father's side of the family, which more identified as African-American until I was nine. So I very much grew up with the culture. And my mother also was very Americanized because she's, you know, first generation. So for her, it was like, no, I'm not making rice and beans. I'm making salmon quiche, you know. <laughs> <laughs> oh, rice and beans are so good. I know. <laughs> I make it, but she was not about it. So she was like London royal and salmon quiche. Um, but it was interesting growing up because as um, – I am darker than my mother was. My hair is different than hers was. So she struggled with like how to do my type of hair. Um, So I got like hot combs and 
um, I would get relaxers done to my hair and she would chop it off. And I'm a girly girl. So I was like, but I like long hair. And so she would cut it off because she didn't know what to do with it. So that was different um, growing up. And on top of that, uh, my birth name is very, it's very African-American. So my birth name is not Nikki, it's Shaniqua. And in school, I was called Shaniqua. And what would happen was, is my classmates who identified as black would often look at me like, who are you, Shaniqua? I don't think so. And like, I was bullied and chased to be beat up and all of that. Um, So it just, it was very complicated um, as a kid. Though all my friends were like all different backgrounds. Yeah. 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 But there is that, you mentioned the word colorism and there is that, you know, that concept. And I recently, I mean, uh, I'm part of this collaboration called Child Free Girls. And we recently interviewed uh, Kimia Nuru Dennis. She's a doctor on sociology and criminology. And she's African American descendant. And she, mm-hmm. she said um, that there's this concept of like, there's only one way to be black. Right. You know, and, right. and that colorism, you know, especially on, on kids who are mixed race, it also creates issues because it's like, you don't know if you're like from this side, are you yeah. African American, are you Latina, or are you? Yeah, it causes issues because when you're a kid, you want to fit in. So yeah, like, of course. Yeah. You, know, you don't learn the value of standing out yet. So it's just like, okay, how do I fit in and who's going to accept me? And unfortunately, in most of my classes, um, I was picked on for being different um, or them not being able to identify me easily. I was told that I speak like a white girl. I was, you know, a lot of different things. And, you know, I'd come home upset and tell my mom, like, I don't understand what they mean. I just talk like I talk. Like, what does that mean? Um, but it was, it was a big issue for me growing up, at least as a young child. Yeah. I mean, I can, I can see that there was like, but you have all these influences, not only on your heritage, but also the way you were brought up, but that's what makes people beautiful and unique. Mm -hmm. And I, but when you're a kid, like you don't get that kids are just really, really keen on putting people in boxes. Absolutely. And it was weird for me because I didn't really see the boxes. Like I just saw a good person, bad person, you know, like mean (laughs) or nice. Like it just was about that. So it didn't really dawn on me that like too much that that's what was happening. I just thought people didn't like me or I just didn't fit in or there was something wrong with me. Um, So it wasn't until high school that that changed, but it was most of my childhood I had to go through some of that. Yeah. Yeah. Well, that's, I can't even imagine. Yeah. (laughs) <laughs> yeah, I mean, living, I grew up in Colombia and, and being here and with all these people, everyone here is mixed in, right. in different ways, as you know. So for me, it was, there was never a question of, you know, the color of my skin was never an issue in a way. Plus, I look more Caucasian than I do anything mm-hmm. else, even though I have like African heritage and I also have like uh, indigenous like yeah. uh, heritage. Um, but they, I remember being in school and people did gravitate more t- towards um the people who look more european in terms of you know that's what's beautiful that's what yes. so the skinny white blonde blue-eyed girl she was the beautiful yes. one yes i spent years actually chemically processing my hair to get it straight because i wanted to be 
seen as pretty, like my friends, you know, my friends who had straight hair. And I was like, wait, I can't do that to my hair. So I would just put relaxers and do it to myself when I was like eight years old, putting these harmful chemicals in my own hair by myself (laughs) because I was so desperate to like, you know, be pretty like my friends. And then I would, I would wonder why when I got it wet, it would curl up. Yeah. And I thought I did something wrong. And so I would go and try to put the relaxer back in my hair. But I didn't realize, you know, you have to blow dry it and then stay straight or whatever. But um, yeah, I tortured my hair just for that purpose of wanting to fit in for so long. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it is amazing the, the lens that people in general take to, to, be, to want to when, when want to fit in. And mm-hmm. you're not really... Well, especially at the time, you know, being so young, you don't really know who you are. You don't, you haven't really discovered yourself. And so you're trying to like, just to be accepted by your peers. Exactly. Yeah. Oh my God. Well, let's fast forward a little bit sure. on, in time. And I just want to get your perspective on, on, or, on, or your opinion on what's going on. I mean, I know that this Black Lives Matter movement has been, it's been on for a long time, but it was recently reignited with George Floyd and everything that has happened in the past few weeks or right. months. I just wanted to get your brief, your perspective on it, on your opinion on it. Wow. It's a huge issue. Um, for me, it's like, I look at it less as a movement and more as an outcry of people saying, hello, we matter. Hello, see us. Hello, see what we're going through and what we're experiencing that may be outside your perspective, but is real and really happening. Um, I think it's unfortunate that it takes horrific brutality, murder for people to see that this is ongoing in our society, that it's not a new thing. Um, and it's not just, oh, this happened in the 60s and this happens now. It's been going on forever. Um, and it's just a society that has not wanted to see the ugly that exists. Um, and it's ugly. And in order for us to heal as a society and to grow, we need to see the ugly and we need to embrace our empathy and compassion as humans. And I think that when we hear the term Black Lives Matter, unfortunately, people now spin it and try to corrupt the meaning of it or try to make it something that it's not. And really what the outcry is, is I'm human too. I matter too. I'm not saying I'm better than you. I'm saying that just like you would not want to see your child, your friend, your sister, your brother, your mother murdered um, like that, neither do we. And we want to be considered human. And I think that that's the outcry and that's been the outcry for centuries. And unfortunately, people don't want to see that. And so they see it as something else. So that's where I'm at. I, I just really hope that this is the shift that the world needs to embrace a change and embrace our humanity and see ourselves within everyone. Because if we can do that, we will not allow the subjugation and the abuse of anyone um, at all. You know, and that's what I'm hoping happens, not just for, um, for Blacks and, and Hispanics and so on, but for people who are being detained in cages, for children that are being treated as less than human, for all of these things that are, being, that are happening under our noses and we're not choosing to acknowledge and see and do anything about. Yeah. No, I, I, I agree with you completely. There's just so many, uh, in general, injustices that happen every day in the world. And this one has been going on for centuries. This is not mm-hmm. yesterday. It's not a year ago. Yeah. Um, 
what breaks my heart is how some people in the States have been taking this in a very light way and even like pushing it, like pushing against it. Like, yeah, I don't understand how human beings cannot have any type of compassion. Like for me, that doesn't, I can't wrap my head around it. Yeah. Um, and I was talking to somebody the other day and I was telling them, yes, I mean, this is happening. The whole uh, Black Lives Matter, Black Lives Matter movement and uh, all the manifestations that are, it's mainly in the U.S. as like the hotspot. We've seen other countries also go out and uh, do, man- you know, people in other countries uh, manifest as well. In my country, nobody has said anything about that right now. Like in Colombia, we're all more concerned right now with the virus. And I think people are a little bit angry that we can't really go out. Yeah. Um, but I, that made me also a little bit angry because it's like, I mean, racism is also very rampant in Colombia. Yeah. It's also completely structural. Like I can see that the people who are less privileged in my country are all dark-skinned people mm-hmm. in general, mm-hmm. uh, either you know African descendants or indigenous people. Right. And it's been like that ever since we were colonized by the Spanish. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. It reminds me of that whole analogy of like um, when you make something, a recipe of your grandmother's, right? And you make it because your grandmother made it that way so many years, so many times. And someone asks you, oh, why do you put, I don't know, turmeric in this recipe? And instead of understanding the flavor and what it does for it, you just say, oh, because my grandmother made it blindly. You know what I mean? And I think a lot of times in society, that's kind of a similar situation. It's not as delicious as whatever your grandmother made, but what they're doing is they're saying blindly, it's always been this way. So why question the status quo? why question the way it's always been and it's like no it's time to see what's happening question it stand up for the rights of other people and bring about a change because that might be even better than what you're used to always experiencing because having people suffer and ignoring that is not going to help humanity as a whole or the vibration and energy of the planet like it just it just puts more of that pain and suffering energy into our planet into our existence and that's just not going to help us move forward in our world you know and it's just sad that people just want to pretend like it's not happening yeah everyone's just turning a blind eye i think yeah. uh i think there's just so much about not only that subject but in general um so racism, environmental issues, women's issues, LGBTQ plus issues, right. all of these things that are like in the mix of this big soup of, yeah. you know, just the world side or whatnot. I think, I think we need to, in general, as, as human beings, be more aware of it and also pay more attention to it because in the end, this is just going to create, I mean, if, even if I wanted kids, I don't think I would be like, oh, I'm so happy bringing kids into this world. Like there's so much that is wrong with it. Yeah. And, um, you know, I, I tried to put my little grain of sand into the change, but I, I, I know that this has to come from like a lot more people for it to actually have like a big, big impact. Yeah, I agree. Um, yeah, I agree. And I encourage people to also do the work on themselves first. Like, you know, if we're going to talk about a collective change, it starts with you, right? 
So there are people that don't consider themselves racist because they grew up hearing racist as being like, I'm going to lynch someone or something, or I purposely call someone a name, but they're still acting in racist ways by not affording other people opportunities that maybe they're qualified for, or by not interacting with different people because they have this perception of them. So it's like, I encourage people to look at themselves and ask themselves, where are my blind spots on this issue? How do I address that and heal that blind spot so that I can now make a change in my life and therefore someone else does and someone else does and someone else does and boom, before you know it, the whole collective starts making these changes and lifting up others. And it starts with you. It starts with us, you know, one by one. Absolutely. And I know you're a very spiritual person because yeah. <laughs> we were introduced by Brie and Brie's like, she's like the wooest girl I know. I love her so much. <laughs> <laughs> we connected right away, me and Brie, with the woo-woo. <laughs> I don't know, me too. I'm the same way. I would have wanted to hear a little bit about, is that something that comes from the way that you were raised or was it uh-huh. afterwards? Interesting. Okay. (laughs) This is like my favorite stuff to talk about. Um, As a child, I was experiencing paranormal activities. So I actually didn't know what it was, but I was experienced like clairaudience, clairvoyance. Um, I would see apparitions. I would hear them in the space. Um, I did have a traumatic childhood and I was also growing up in a haunted building oh my god (laughs) so like a lot was happening at once um and I couldn't really talk about it I would just tell my mom like oh I had a nightmare or oh this was happening um but I think that she just wanted to protect us so she didn't really go into it too much even though she was a natural medium so she had experienced many paranormal things in her life up until that point too and so for a long time I just kind of put that stuff on the back burner and put it aside And then come to my 20s and 30s, things kept happening that like I couldn't just unexplain anymore. I couldn't just be like, oh, I was a kid. It was my imagination or whatever. It's like, no, when, you know, someone's departed mother is talking to you and telling you to give a message to their son who you just met and, you know, she's not here anymore on the planet. You have to give this message like you can't ignore that. And when you're having dreams that are coming true a week later on the news, you can't ignore that. So like there were just so many things that I kept trying to push aside um, to live, you know, to have a job, to have a career, to focus on life. And in 2016, I just finally embraced the fact that um, these things are real, that I am going through them and I should probably develop it and work through it. So the first step was embracing my, my sense of empathy. I am an empath. I am extremely sensitive to other people's emotions and energy. Um, I can pretty much read the room very easily. And it was something I used to do as a kid for fun. Like my friends would be like, oh, read that person. Tell that person about themselves. Like I would just meet them and then tell them about themselves. And they'd be like, whoa. <laughs> um, so, so, but, <laughs> so I didn't realize that that was actually like a gift. I just thought it was like a fun thing to do. But it is something that happens to me naturally. Um, and so I embraced that. And then I downloaded a bunch of podcasts looking for a mentor. And I, the same woman was on three different podcasts and I didn't even read the descriptions to know that she was on it. And she was this amazing medium named Lisa Williams. Um, and so I reached out to Lisa Williams on blind faith and was like, will you be my mentor? <laughs> you know, I don't have any money, but, <laughs> and um, 
she didn't respond. And then I found another medium online who did a card reading and said, exchange gift for gift. And so I was like, that's for me. And so because I'm a photographer and I've been doing that for so long, I reached out to Lisa and I said, do you need marketing material? I'll exchange my services for your mentorship. And she was like, I love your work. Yes, come up to Lilydale, New York, and you know, we can do this. I was like, great, I'll get up there, not realizing there's no train or bus that goes to Lilydale, New York, which is seven hours away from New York City. Whoa. And I don't have a driver's license and I don't drive. (laughs) (laughs) How did you get there? I told my best friend and she was kind enough to take me. And so her, myself, and my other friend got in a car, went seven hours did this amazing photo shoot with Lisa Williams, got to talk to her. She confirmed that I do have these abilities. And um, that was enough to like kind of get the ball rolling. Um, And then I did train with her um, for this weekend, this intense weekend up in Lilydale. And I gave a reading that day was 100% accurate. Um, The person's brother who passed came through and I could see him and I could see how he passed and deliver the message. Um, So this was all just part of that journey. Um, and yeah, it just continued. And then I realized, oh, my hands are getting hot. Um, especially if someone is in emotional pain or distress. And when Lisa gave me a reading, she goes, oh, your hands get hot, don't they? And I was like, oh, snap. How does she know? Like, <laughs> what? Um, I was like, yes, that happens. And she's like, okay, well, that's your healing ability. And so you have to figure out how you want to channel that modal into a modality. And so I went on Google and typed in Reiki. Cause I'm like, that must be Reiki. And the first thing that comes up, it's not the traditional forms of Reiki. What came up for me was angelic Reiki. And so I was like, sure, I'm going to learn. And there was only one teacher in New York. I reached out to her. She said, yes. And she even gave me a discount for the weekend. And so I got certified in angelic Reiki. And that's also part of what I offer um, in this life. That's awesome. Yeah, I can you, because the thing about exploring your spirituality I mean, in your case, I love it. I love that story. Um, You have that gift. But I think anyone, even if they don't think they have a gift, because I think most human beings have something. They just haven't. Like some people have it more developed. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah, Some people just have it like more developed than others. Absolutely. But it is about, you know, diving into, into that part of yourself that is just like, I can't explain it, but this is the way that I feel and this is the way that I I want to project myself in the world and yeah. I think the best way to to like recognize that is to really pay attention to intuition. I think intuition is our biggest sign that there's something other than like the logical explanation, explainable, tangible things. Yeah. Like if you think about the fact that even if you don't usually listen to your intuition, but you think about the times that like you had that moment that was like, oh, and you don't listen to it and you realize you should have, that's clarification that there's more. That there's like, as even as an animal, right? If we were to take human beings and think of ourselves as animals, mm-hmm. there's instinctual things that animals have to survive, to, to thrive, to, to be part of a world. And it's not always, oh, their coat is a different color and it blends into the background. It's, oh, maybe they can hear or see for miles away, or maybe they have night vision or like, it's just one of our survival and um, yeah, survival aspects that we just, it's tangible. We just don't think it is, but it is. Yeah, I know there, I mean, there's some people, and I used to be like this. I was, at uh, some point in my life, I was like 100% logic. Yes, um, a lot of people I, are. I just completely, but this is the thing. I had 
experiences similar to yours when I was a kid. And I completely blocked them out because I was like, no. And you know what? My mom is also like this, but my mom never talks about it. Um, I actually knew that my mom had had like a lot of paranormal um, experiences, like maybe 10 years ago was the first time she mentioned them. So when I was a kid, like I wasn't even... Uh, that wasn't even a subject at home. And I grew up with a very, like my dad has been always like super logical. And that was who I, who I was um, when I was a teenager and into my 20s. And you, and you just shut everything else off. It's all about, does this make any sense or not? But you're only thinking with your brain. And <laughs> that doesn't serve any purpose at all. You have to think yes. the whole of you. It's like your brain and your heart and your spirit and your intuition, yes. you have to just tune everything in together because sometimes your brain doesn't know any better. Well, and our brains also are overworked. They're exhausted, so they're not reliable. You know what I mean? And just like we have egos to function in this world, I know some people in the spiritual community think you're supposed to get rid of your ego, but you're not. You're just not supposed to let the ego drive the car. Yeah. You're supposed to let the ego go along with all of the other aspects that make you think bigger and broader and understand the world in a bigger way. And so the heart chakra, the solar plexus, your gut, your intuition, your mind, your ego, all of it work together as a machine. And when one thing is working harder than the other, you're always going to be off balance. And so you may not make the best choices for your life. You may have to have go, go through a lot more learning experiences in that way. Um, and that's the reason why. <laughs> You're listening to The Honest Uproar, a podcast where modern, child-free women share their life stories and where we discuss important topics for the kid-free community. So you are doing the angelic Reiki at the same time, I mean, in parallel to your photography. Yeah, I've kind of, I mean, I feel like, I feel like when I send you my bio, you're going to see it's a lot of stuff. <laughs> um, <laughs> yes, I kind of lived a life where I thought that I couldn't be an artist. So I worked in finance for seven years. Um, I was actually in Manhattan during 9-11 at a finance job. Um, so I did finance for seven years and then I was introduced to plus size modeling. So I started modeling. And that opened doors into working wholesale and that opened doors into photography. So like it kind of went in like order in that experience. Um, and photo- once I found photography and it was literally me and another model photographing each other for a company that had no budget. And when that happened, I literally fell in love with the photos I took of her. I was just like, oh my gosh. And then they were just like, Nikki, you have the eye. I was like, yes. So- <laughs> So I ran with that and I taught myself um, everything I could possibly learn and practiced on everybody I knew. And um, my first client ended up being Wilhelmina Models, which is a big agency in New York. Um, And they started sending me models every week. And so from there, I just continued to embrace it. But it was also during the recession. So I was like, oh, I still need a job. And I put aside my passion and my expression as an artist to survive. Um, but I was miserable because I only love to, I love to create uh, anything that involves creating or helping others in a constructive way I want to do. And so (laughs) that was just like, okay, sitting in an office for nine hours a day, like typing up Excel documents and stuff is just not going to make me happy. 
So I continued with the fashion stuff instead and ended up becoming the head agent of a modeling agency in New York. Um, so I did that for two years and I helped them grow. And while I was there after like towards the end of my time there, I actually had an aneurysm at work. Whoa. Yeah. Yeah. So that, that led to more and more understanding of my spirituality and my journey and so on and so forth from there. But um, yeah, I kind of just do a bunch of things and try to make them all part of my human experience. Now I've seen your portfolio. It's looking <laughs> amazing. And the pictures that you take like this, you know, I know that many people had to like reinvent themselves in a way or like kind of like find creative ways to yeah. during this pandemic, you know, the apocalypse hit us all and we need to do something <laughs> about it now. Yeah. And you've been taking pictures of your subjects through the webcam of their computer. Yeah. And oh my God, like I was <laughs> like, this is not, she was there. She was surely there. <laughs> You're so good. You're, you have, Thank I mean, you. the talent is amazing. I really Thank love you. the work that you do. I'm going to leave you guys, um, Nikki's uh, contact information below. I, I mean, even if you just go and like creep her website, just to see her pictures, they're so, they're so amazing. Thank you so much. Yeah, I mean, I'm an outside of the box person. So if there is an obstacle, I'm going to try to find a backdoor way to get it done. So <laughs> that's just my personality. So when I found out, I didn't create this new style of doing things. I heard about it. And um, I, I practiced on a few people first. And I was like, oh, I can totally do this. And so the virtual photo shoot is then, you know, something that I love to do. And yeah. The fun thing for me is for so long, people thought photography had to do with your camera, right? So, so many people were like, oh, I'm going to be a photographer now. I have a DSLR and, you know, it has this many megapixels. And so it's this whole thing. And I'm like, and for so long, I'm like, it has nothing to do with the camera. The camera is the tool, but it's not the art. It's not the actual expression of the artist. Um, it's just a tool to get there. So if you don't develop your eye or how do you communicate with your subject and what you're trying to capture, the camera is not going to help. And so I would tell people that and I would tell them, listen, if you talk to Shakespeare, would you ask him what type of quill and ink he used? Yeah. I don't think so. Like, I think he would just be like, Shakespeare, how did you come up with this idea? Or whatever. Yeah, yeah. So uh -huh. the same thing um, applies to photography. So I had to, to yeah. like, embrace that belief and utilize people's phones and tablets and their webcam to create the same quality type of image I would if I was in person with my camera. Yeah. And I love that I can do that now. And then it also takes away all the borders, right? Like I can photograph you in Colombia tomorrow yeah. if we wanted to. Yeah, and absolutely. I don't have to go to Colombia. <laughs> <laughs> it's a shame though. I really want to visit my country. <laughs> Listen, it can happen in the future. <laughs> <laughs> Definitely. You know, but this is exactly what I meant. It's the quality of the pictures because I, I mean, yeah. I have I had seen a couple of photogra uh, photographers do something similar, but you can see the quality is not the same. There's something about I don't know what it is. It's just something that you look at the shot and you think this person is photographing a computer screen, whereas right. when you look at I looked at your shots, is this Nikki's photographing a person? You know, it's a completely different feel. Yeah. So yeah, um, it's awesome. Thank you. And, and I have to say, I think a lot of the expression of what I do with my photography, whether it be in person or not, is I use that intuition and that empathic gift to connect with the person. 
And so for me, if I can't capture that, no matter what we're using to do that, then it's not right, you know? So I need to be able to like connect with the person and then bring out the beauty that I see in them because I literally see beauty in everybody. Mm -hmm. And it's just different for every person. So I want to capture that thing that sets them apart and makes them so beautiful to me and then show it to them. Like that's the most exciting part is like, oh, look at you. And they're like, that's me. And I'm like, yes, that's (laughs) you. (laughs) I think that's the the beautiful thing about photography and good Mm -hmm. photographers is that they capture people's souls instead of capturing just the physical way that they look. Yeah. It's so cool. Okay. So let's dive into your choice to become child-free. I want to hear how that journey was for you. Sure. I think I made that decision at age 11. For me, it was, um, like I mentioned a little bit earlier, I had a traumatic childhood. So both of my parents, after I met my father when I was nine, he joined us. And um, my mother had suffered a loss of my brother's father. He died of a, in a car accident when my brother was three and I was nine. And so my father joined us, I met him, and both of my parents then unfortunately got involved in drugs. Um, And in the midst of drug abuse, uh, they had more children. So, So yeah, so it was me at age nine, my brother at age three, and then after that we had two other brothers, two younger brothers um, from their union back together. And while that was happening and they were um, doing drugs, I was then the oldest and the only girl. So I became the surrogate mother to my siblings. So literally, instead of going to school, I had to stay home a lot of the school year because my mother couldn't get out of bed and take care of my siblings. Wow. Yeah. And it was, it was traumatic because for me, like my father was abusive to my, one of my brothers and to my mother. So I had to witness domestic abuse, child abuse, and my only escape from all of the chaos was school. And so, and I love school. And so being kept home to take care of babies or waking up at three in the morning on a school night to change diapers and make bottles. Um, I already had what I feel like was the experience. And in that experience of being a mother at a chi- as a child, I lost my childhood. Wow. Yeah. And so they would ask me, people would ask me, you know, over the years, like, are you going to have kids? Do you plan to have kids when you grow up? Da, da, da. Like, you know, like this was the expectation, like you're going to have kids. And I would say no. Um, and that was like when I was still in junior high school, I would say no, because I wanted to have a life that was different than what I had to experience as a child. Um, and I had this fear growing up that I was going to repeat the cycles that my mother had and be pregnant at 17 and like not be able to live a life that I was dreaming of. And so it pretty much was solidified then. And I would say like, there's been times in my adult life where I questioned, but not so much for me, but because other people would pressure me and say, when are you going to have kids? Or, um, you know, don't you want to have kids so they can play with my kids and this and that. And, and it was this whole thing. And I would be like, do I want to have kids? Maybe if I meet the right person, I want to have kids. And like, you know, this like conditioning and, and like mentality of like, if they're saying it, then that must be what I want. And I had to go back to, oh no, I'm just starting to live my life. 
Like I'm just, I love to travel. I love to do all of these things. And I'm not saying you can't do that with a child. I'm just saying that would be 10 times harder for me with a child. And I can't imagine not being able to. And I can't imagine also for a long time, I was also concerned that if I did have a child, they would never be able to get the things that I want them to have in life. Like I wanted them to have more than I can have. I wanted them to have more than I had growing up. Um, so there was just all of this going on in my mind, but I always go back to, I already knew as a child that I wasn't going to have kids. <laughs> so I'm sticking with it and I'm happy with that choice because literally I love my life. Um, and, um, I stay looking young cause I can sleep and, <laughs> <laughs> you know, there's all these, there's all these perks that I find in my personal life that I'm really happy with my choice. Yeah, no, but I mean, listen to your story. The first thing that came to mind is you were, you already experienced what motherhood is. Yeah. I mean, sure. the responsibility of taking care of your siblings and it was, it was thrusted into you. You, you didn't ask for it, um, yeah. unfortunately. And at such a, a young age, uh, yeah. that, that little, that well, it was not little, but that, that period of time was like, um, sort of like a test, like this is what it would be if yeah. you decide to become a mom. And then if you really want them, then you know exactly what you're facing, you know? Yeah. And that was, that was five years of my childhood. So age wow. nine to age 14, I had to be a mother. And, and it, it, you know, I don't want people to think it was like, oh, um, watch your brother for an hour or for a little while. It was all the time. So mm. if I had to go to the grocery, I had to shop for dinner. As a child, they gave me $20 to get dinner for us and maybe some stuff for breakfast for only $20. And I had to bring my three little brothers with me to the supermarket. If I had, I had to do laundry. So I had to bring my brothers to the basement with me to do laundry while I was a child. And so everything that a mother or parent would do if they were a single parent, I experienced other than going to work. Yeah. So all of the things that, you know, the waking up, the diapers, the throwing up, them being sick potty training, um, sleeping in the bed with me, like all of the things that a parent has to do, I did as a child. And so it was, um, it was difficult, Yeah, you know, but a gift, because like you said, it's, here's the example of what you can choose if you like, but now you know what it's like. So yeah. I had, I was able to make an informed decision very young. Yeah. That's the life of a, a single mother, I guess. Yeah. 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 <laughs> but that's, I mean, and you were so young. I mean, to me, when you, when you heard, when you told the story the first time, yeah, that's, that's how it felt, you know, uh, that because you said I did, I couldn't go to school. Like I had to miss a lot of school. That's yeah. the only reason you would do that is because, you know, a normal kid or a kid with like a quote unquote normal childhood is because the kid is sick. Right. Right. Yeah. Not because you have to take care of your siblings because your parents uh, can't, you know? Yeah. And so within that time period, my parents were also in and out of jail and um, going through domestic squabbles. And I almost got left back in eighth grade because I missed, I think it was like two, almost 200 days of school. And so they were like, well, we can't promote you to ninth grade to high school because you missed all these days. Mm -hmm. And my mother was in prison at the time and she had to have her lawyer contact the school and explain to them the situation. Cause I didn't talk about my family situation. It's their shame associated with that type of life. And so it was a secret. 
Yeah. Um, and so even, even though we had child protective services coming to the house and seeing us and all, I, like, it was a secret. I could not tell my friends. I couldn't tell anyone. So the school didn't know why I missed so much school. And we didn't have a phone. So they weren't calling our house. So it was a big secret. So the lawyer had to say, listen, this is her mother. This is why. This is what's happening. And her mother wants her to go to high school. She's a good kid, da, da, da. So what they did is they took away my choice of high school and put me in the first high school that had availability. So I was promoted. Thankfully, it was my first choice high school. So (laughs) I got to go where I wanted to go anyway. Uh (laughs) Um, But yeah, it was was very difficult um, for me uh, being a mother as a child. That that just boggles my mind. And the the fact is that there's, I mean, there's more than one people, there's more than one person who has experienced something like this. Not only in the States, I also see it here in Colombia with mothers who are single mothers who have several children from different parents. Yeah. Because that's also very common. You know, yeah. four kids, each one, each kid has a different baby daddy. Yeah. Um, and their moms are completely unconcerned for what happens to them. So the eldest is usually the one who, you know, ends up raising their their yeah. siblings. And it's just so unfortunate that, you know, when you're child free, usually people take a lot of time to think about it and say, this is what I want for my life for whatever reason, any reasons valid. Yeah. Whereas people who have kids usually don't take as much time to think about what it is to bring another human being into this world. Yeah, I think that was the biggest example for me. Like I was very much a child learning from adult decisions, from decisions adults were making, whether they knew they were making those decisions or not. I had to sit back and say, okay, well, what happens to that person's life after they made that choice? And what happens to that person's life? And that's how I kind of figured out what I did or didn't want in life. And so seeing that my mother who thankfully the first nine years of my existence was an amazing mother, like super sweet, super loving, super never hit me. Like all of the good things that you want a mother to be, she was all of those things, but grief had brought her to addiction. So I got to see the change in her life and I got to see the type of marriage I don't want and the type of situations and like living I don't want and Poverty was real. Like we were on welfare and begging neighbors for, I had to beg neighbors for food and money. Like all of those things were like, okay, well, if I decide to have kids young or I decide to not develop myself as a person and work through whatever I have to work through, I'm going to bring people into this world that I may not be able to care for. And I can't imagine that for myself because I know what it's like to be that kid and have to go through that. Yeah. So in the end, it was a, a blessing in disguise in a way. A hundred percent, a hundred percent. I feel like everything is a learning experience and it's just about what you make of it. And I feel totally blessed that I had to have that experience to grow and learn as a person. And I got to do it pretty young in life, you know, and yeah. then just take those lessons and apply them to later and keep growing as a person. Absolutely. I could not agree with you more. Absolutely. <laughs> Oh, my God. Well, Nikki, you know, time flies when I'm talking to you. It's such a <laughs> pleasure to have you in my show. Thank uh, you. Oh, my God. Um, I Just before I let you go, I wanted to ask you if there's something else you would like to add to our interview for my listeners to, to hear you. Um, I, I'm thinking. I think I would just say, like, 
stand strong in your decisions. You know, if you really feel in your heart that something is or isn't right for you, stand by it, regardless of the pressure that other people put on you, because you know yourself and knowing yourself is a very powerful thing. And so don't worry about what your family says you should do and what other people say you should do. Do what's best for you. I know because I've had fam the same family members that were telling me, when are you going to have kids? 15 years later, are like, girl, so good you didn't have any kids. <laughs> and they're like, we love ours, but damn. <laughs> I'm just like, okay then, you know? So just do what's best for you and, and you'll find your, your own happiness and bliss. Absolutely. And with those words, um, I'm going to leave you guys Nikki's website so you can check out her pictures and do you have instagram you should i do it's it's the nikki gomez all right i'm going to leave nikki's instagram here as well so you can follow her and well thank you so much nikki for your time again it's been such a pleasure having you here thank you so much it's been a pleasure being here thank you for listening to the honest uproar a podcast where modern child-free women share their life stories and where we discuss important topics for the Kidfree community. We hope you tune in next week for our newest episode. And since we love hanging out with you, please be sure to follow us on social media at The Honest Uproar and visit our website at thehonestuproar.com. If you like what you heard, feel free to share with your fierce, child-free firecracker friends. Until next time, continue fueling your inner fire. <laughs>